Hey everybody, Max Boltman here again alongside Corey Pronman for another Friday Prospect Edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm really excited for today's show. We got a brand new Athletic Staff mock draft dropped. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Corey's outstanding draft confidential story, which always has anonymous insights from NHL scouts and executives. We're going to get to those. But first, we are joined by Chris Peters of the fantastic website Hockey Sense. Here with us today to talk about the draft, which is now just two weeks away. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Max. Great to be with you guys. Always a pleasure to uh, talk prospects, especially with my pal Corey. And uh, yeah, excited to be here. Now, I heard that maybe you had already been chosen in this draft. I, I saw photos of a Anaheim Ducks jersey at your door. Can, are you the third pick in this draft? I Well, I mean, I'd be a decent one. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean... Thanks to my pals over at Disney Plus for sending me a, a District 5 jersey after my many internet complaints that because I am a child of the 90s and I was jealous of all the influencers that was getting were getting jerseys, I started complaining. And you know what, kids? That's all it, it takes. Works. Just complain. <laughs> it works. I liked the bit. I, I really liked the bit. I was amazed at how long you kept it up. Yeah, that's the part of it. That's the part that kind of struck me. It wasn't the bit. The bit was funny. It was the persistence, <laughs> if not the excessiveness of it to where it kind of like it tilted from like, this is funny and cute to, okay, this is a little bit desperate now. Yeah, well, the funny thing about that was is that they had contacted me maybe about a week after it started. So I kept it going. <laughs> Knowing full well that I was getting the jersey. So they contacted you and they said it was coming or they said yeah. it's not coming. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. No, they they did. They're like, here, here, we're going to send it to you. Uh, love the tweets. And then I was like, you know what? To have the payoff of the of getting the jersey, I'm going to have to keep this going. But I tried to try to taper it a little bit. But seriously, like I, I, I at one point I was I wasn't sure it was coming because it had been like a few months since they said it was. And so I started kind of going a little more frequently again. And then sure enough, it showed up on my doorstep. They were testing you. And yeah, it's amazing. So I, I love it. It is one of my favorite collectibles now. Um, and it has a great story to go along with it. it. Unless you follow me on Twitter and then you were like, just hated me for months on end. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, well, I want to talk to you about a bunch of things that we want to talk to you about today. But one of the first things uh, is a tournament that you were both at the World U18s, not I mean, a, a good number of people there, but not everybody was there. And now that we've kind of had this cooling off period where it, it's not like the last thing you saw in the world, um, I wanted to see kind of now that it's wrapped, what's sticking with you still from that tournament? What's going to prove to really have an impact on the 2021 draft that, that both of you two saw at the World U18s in Dallas? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the thing that stuck with so many people, it seems, and, and me as well, is just, you know, the the rise of Mason McTavish and his ability to play a dominant game with his within his age group to take the things that he learned from playing professionally last year in Switzerland and making himself a case for being a top 10 prospect. I think he was kind of a fringe top 15 guy at that point coming into that tournament. And, you know, I had talked to a few scouts that said, you know, they thought he looked far more comfortable, far better at the world under 18s. Um, and, and I think just those, those views definitely – had left a lasting impression on a lot of people. It was going to be an important event, but they've also, you know, everyone will say it's, it's, it's just a, a small sample of a, of a whole season, but for some guys, it was the only sample. And uh, for Mason McTavish, he made the most of it, including the games that he played in Switzerland earlier the year. He just really built off of that. And I think that he's, he left the, one of the big lasting impressions of that tournament. Yeah. And that's like an interesting tournament for, for that reason. And that I think 
when we come in, you know, all the scouts uh, you talk to say mostly the same thing that is, you know, it's a two week thing. You can't overreact. I'm sure, you know, some people are going to move a guy too much off of this. Um, and then what happens after the tournament is a lot of those you know, predictions happen in that, or the things they say they're not going to do end up actually happening where a guy like McTavish, who I kind of heard fringy top 10, top 12, top 15 is now being discussed. Like, oh, will he go seven? Will he go five? Will he go higher? Uh, you know, you had a guy like Svechkov with Russia who, mm-hmm. a federal Svechkov who, when I, when he was coming in, I was here in like, 20 to 40 range and now it's like well i don't think he's going getting past 20 right now it's a guy like samu salmanen who came in as like i think a second third round type and now it's like oh well will he go high second round could he even sneak uh, into the late first it's a guy like olin zellweger who was probably being talked about as a second third fourth round pick by some scouts it's like oh well you know you know will he get out of the second round it, it seems unlikely uh, and there were you know, a guy like Fabian Liesel, who didn't really had a good, not great tournament. You know, what does that do for his stock? You know, you, you talk to some scouts now that are worried about him in terms of like top 10, top 12. A guy like Isaac Rosen as a guy I keep hearing more top 20 ab- uh, buzz about uh, in, in the days since the tournament. Uh, you know, you know, Brad Clark's kind of up and down performance, even though I still think he had a really good tournament. Uh, these are all things that I've, that I've heard about in the weeks since the event that have definitely become big parts of the draft discourse, both publicly and within discussions with team employees. But is that really like solely about the the, the contained two weeks of the World U18? Or is that more like, okay, Mason McTavish is really good at it in Dallas. Let me go back and watch his, you know, I, I think he only still played like 13, 14. You could conceivably have gone back and rewatched his entire season like over the next few days and and just been able to to frame it with some new information, right? Like is it is it really overreacting to two weeks or is it just kind of the the platform that gets guys to go reexamine these some of these guys? I know Chris has watched McTavish's games, you know, but it's like yeah. you guys go back and like watch those games. It's really rough on the eyes. Like <laughs> it's really bad video quality. It's a league in the Swiss uh, the Swiss second division league where Sometimes NHL picks come out of that league, but it's not a league you use really to contextualize top first round picks, never mind potential top 10 picks. So I think a lot of the scouts I talked to, you know, they've obviously watched him there, but a lot of it's based on what he did last season in Peterborough, where he had Mm -hmm. like 29 goals and 50 something games, something along those lines, and was very good at that level. Um, Yes, I, I don't think. Teams, you know, teams do really comprehensive work on these guys. They're not making, you know, drastic decisions based on two weeks. But I was just making a point that they're, you know, the when we kind of say oh, one tournament shouldn't move things too much, and I think you should move guys off tournaments. I don't have an issue with that. You incorporate new information as you get it. But I was making a point that this tournament has definitely changed the perception of some guys in a mild case in some regards and a significant case in other regards kind of off of Corey's Corey's point as well is you know it, it is useful for for some guys to have gone back and see you know pick up some things from the tournament that that they did and I, I mean that's one of the biggest things that I used that u18 for was okay we got the visuals now let me look 
at the video with some fresh eyes based on what I saw. And, and I think it's really important to see these guys in their age group because they're going to play, especially all those guys that played European pro hockey this year. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, you think about guys like, you know, Simon Edvinson and others where you say, okay, well, they didn't quite dominate against their age group. What does that mean? How do I, how do I put that into context? So, um, those are, those are some of the other benefits of, of that tournament on top of the information that you collect while there. But I, I totally agree with Corey that, you know, you, you read into it as much as you feel as necessary. And sometimes for some of these guys, you know, that, that, that last impression is going to be the strongest one. Chris, I think you would have had an interesting scouting experience at that tournament because if memory serves, you were calling some, a lot of those games, <laughs> all of those games. Yeah. Uh, well, half of them, yeah. half of them in Frisco. Yeah. And that, and that's, it is, it is a challenge to do it that way. So I was also watching video again of the games that I, that I did, but the, 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 the great thing about um, when you do like color commentary or something like that. And, and I mean, you look at Craig button and, and he does the same thing where he's doing the color commentary for a lot of these big tournaments and, and still trying to be an evaluator at the same time. Um, you watch the game with a, with a different focus. You're looking for things um, that you can spot that, that you can kind of help tell the story of the game, but also tell people about the players. And I, and I tried to, my color analyst style for that tournament given that so many of these guys were NHL draft prospects was to look at it through the prospect lens, as opposed through the team lens. Like, what does this mean for this player? You know, what, is, what, what are the things that he does that would translate? Why are, what are scouts excited about? Those were the types of things that I was trying to explain over the course of it. And the nice thing is, you know, you don't have your, 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 your laptop open in front of you. You're not trying to fire off tweets. I mean, Corey and I will always kind of, we'll close our lids on our, on our laptops and might go, go back to it between plays and stuff like that. But it, it was kind of nice to, um, to just have that focus on the game the whole time and and you have to be hyper focused. So I think it actually helped me um, remember a lot of things from that tournament, commit them to memory because you're saying them out loud, you know, so it's like those things kind of stick with you, but then you do have to go back and rewatch it to make sure that you are, are seeing what you're saying, you know, like, and, and does that, you know, when I, when I went back and did my entire draft rankings Every single before every single capsule I wrote, I was watching video again on these guys just to make sure to refresh my memory and 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 make sure that my notes made sense. And but yeah, it was a, it was a totally different viewing experience, but one that I really valued. You did great with it. I mean, I thought you were a great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's not your first experience doing that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like that's actually the, that's what I used to do when I that's how I kind of snuck into the the U eighteen worlds is that you know they always needed somebody to broadcast at the time, really the only people that cared were like the parents. Oh. And so they do web streams and I would go. So I've, I've been to, I think that was my sixth or seventh U18 worlds in some capacity. Um, and, you know, I worked for USA hockey for a period of time. And then I also did, uh, yeah, I was solo play-by-play and analyst in, in a bunch of the first one, the last one that I did before as a broadcaster before this most recent one was in 2013 in Sochi, which was the Connor McDavid 15 year old MVP, uh, U18 Worlds. And so that was my first Connor McDavid experience live. And um, it's an amazing tournament. And I, I love being there. And it's 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 been great to be able to do that. And I, I'm so excited to have done it this year. And that, you know, Hockey TV let me go down there um, with that with that, you know, small amount of experience that I did have. And then, you know, I think that we put together a pretty decent broadcast. And, and I was I was thrilled to do it because that was that was my first plan was to go into broadcasting. And then I, I realized that, that, that I might, my talents might be, might be better elsewhere, but uh, I still miss it sometimes. So I'm glad to get the opportunity when I do get it. We'll always have the Tyler Biggs goal call. 
if even though if, if you brought the players and take off. Yeah, you you and the fifty other people that were watching that. Um, and yeah, and I the video is actually gone. I checked for it, but yeah, Tyler Big scored a huge overtime game winning goal against Canada in the twenty eleven U eighteen Worlds. Um, and yes, that's the same Tyler Biggs that the Toronto Maple Leafs chose in the first round. Um, and I think I broke every vocal cord trying to <laughs> scream that goal, uh, goal call. So, uh, yeah, I was a little excited. It wasn't like your, your other big U18 world experience. What did you get to meet Vladimir Putin or you got like adjacent <laughs> to him at one he, point? He, well, no, I, I didn't meet him. Um, uh, he, what the, the tournament in Sochi, he walks right past my broadcast, but I was surrounded by, um, you know, the, the Russian secret service guys. Uh, I had to have all my broadcast equipment checked before I went anywhere in the building. Um, but it was basically USA was playing Russia in the opening game of the Bolshoi ice dome, which was eventually going to host the, uh, the 2018 winter Olympics. Um, and so this was essentially the test event. So that's why Putin was there. And yeah, he was, he was five feet away from me walking down the stairs. It kind of surprised me coming down and I was like, Oh, okay, well this is uh this is new. Uh, this will be uh this will be interesting to tell the friends back home. So uh, yeah, that was a pretty fun experience though. Unbelievable. Yep. Well, you mentioned uh, Craig button a minute ago. And, and so the next thing I want to do is something we had Craig and Corey do when, when Craig joined us a few weeks ago. And that's just to kind of dig a little deeper on a couple players that maybe you and Corey aren't like worlds apart on or anything, but, but there's a little gap sure. in where you have them ranked. And uh, it, it does help that these are a couple players we maybe haven't spent a ton of time on yet on this show. Uh, and, and so if you kind of just want to let everybody know the two of you, what you see and, and where you differ, the first guy is Fabian Lysel. Chris, I think you had him and your rankings at number 12. Corey, I want to say you had him at 22. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Like, like, what do you see in, in Fabian Lysel? Well, I think part of part of my ranking of him is is kind of relative to the draft class is that he has a, a relatively unique skill set compared to a lot of the players in here. Um, and, and I still think that, that that impacts his his overall upside. I think he's one of the quickest forwards in this entire draft class. I skill great in transition. Um, I hear the complaints about, you know, is he too perimeter? Does he do, does he does he compete hard enough? Those are things that I, I think that are definite concerns about him. And certainly the size is a factor as well. Um, but there are just are so few players like him um, in this class. And, I, and I'm always a guy that likes to, you know, speed is not always going to be the most important thing thing uh hockey sense and 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 skill and all that matters but i think that he's so good off the rush and and can make so many plays off the rush um that you know in the nhl where you you know you a lot of goals are scored in those small area games but game breaking players can score off the rush and i think that's one of the things that he does well good release on his shot you know distributes decently well um has good one-on-one puck skills to beat defensemen and yeah but i i think that you know, I'm sure one of the things that Corey's going to talk about is just that he needs to do better at getting inside, get, trying to get, you know, score from the middle of the ice and not just always having to rely on his speed to get past defensemen, because that doesn't always help you at the NHL level when they're they're better and and, and smarter. So that that those are the main things. I think the the, the, the speed skill level, um, the, the transitional ability that he has and, and certainly just the fact that there aren't many players that, that have his full complement of skills in this draft class if we were redoing the 2019 draft right now where does philip tomasino go in your opinion oh man um i think i think higher how much higher he went 24 in the 24 i think he's probably a top 20 top you know closer to 15 all right how much different is lee sell from tomasino you think Mm, i would say well he's not as big 
for one. He's, it's, like, it's like an inch or two difference. Isn't like Tom yeah. Cena like six zero? Yeah, yeah, roughly. Yeah, I'd yeah. say Phil has a little bit more, a little more two way ability. Do, does he? A little bit. <laughs> okay, a little bit. Well, I yeah, say, I, I would. I, I wouldn't say like. Yeah, he's. I'm not going to say he's going to going to be a shutdown guy, but I mean. Yep, yeah, I know what you're saying. No, I mean, I know. I, I, I think that's perfectly fair. I think there's a little bit more physicality in this game. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I, the reason why I brought him up is he's the one I think about when I think of Lee Sell and that he's really fast, really skilled, um, that could be, could be in and out sometimes, um, av- you know, average-ish size. Um, draft season, you know, was pretty good, not amazing. So that kind of, you know, obviously Tomasino had a really good 19-year-old season. Like his performance in the American League was really impressive. His World Juniors, he, he you know, had some good games, some, some not so some not so good games. But overall, he's, he's an impressive player, a guy that I think, like you said, I think he goes top 23 through that draft. Maybe top 15, I don't know. There's some really good players in that draft. Right. But he's the one that came to mind when I'm thinking of, of Lee Sell. And that's kind of like, you know, if let's, you could t- turn that around and Philip Tomasino, maybe you don't think highly of this draft class. If Philip Tomasino's in this draft class, does he go top 12 in your opinion? The Tomasino in his draft season, not the one you know right now. Hmm. Um, probably, yeah, probably. I think he'd be close for me. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, he'd be close. For the same reasons that you just think the toolkit's unique. Right, exactly. Well, Tomasino's a yeah. center too, right? I mean, that, that kind of matters here, right? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, maybe in the NHL. Yeah, he might be a center. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But like maybe. in that in that draft, you had Newhook, you had you know Krabs. guys right. like 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 Broberg and Cousins. Uh, right. You know, Bjornfoot was a really good skater. Um, there were more guys that had had like Thomas Harley, really good skater for the size. Uh, there were more of those options really high in the draft. That's kind of what I think. Uh, Chris is getting at here. Well, my like question with Lysel, I, I don't know his game nearly as well as, as either you two, but I, if, for a player who's the selling point is is the dynamic offensive skill set, I, I think I just would want to see a little more product. I know it's the SHL and he's a teenager, but even if you you know in in his in the J twenty national, he, he was point per game, but he didn't like light it on fire or anything. This year. I, I think I just would want to see like a little bit more. And this is a very you know, I'm not, I'm not, this is kind of an uninformed opinion, but I think I just want to see a little more on the stat sheet. Does that make sense? No. And I think that's perfectly fair. I think you, you know, I think there'd be some people over in Florida that might kind of be nodding their head silently while, while, while listening to that. And that, you know, that's probably a big reason why he wasn't promoted early in the year is they wanted to see him be a little bit, you know, I watched one of those games and there were some times he was really, really impressive, but I think they wanted him to be a little bit more consistent shift to shift and game to game and why he wasn't promoted. Uh, I think that's perfectly fair. I also think it's perfectly fair to say his U18 World Games, he had some really nice moments. Obviously, like that highlight real goal he scored on in the tournament, uh, I think it was versus Belarus. Chris? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. You know, that really, really impressive. There were some, you know, games where he really wasn't as noticeable. Then there was, and that, but that wasn't the only time he was with the 18 team. They had several camps throughout the season in Sweden because they only could play against each other uh, due to the COVID restrictions. And some games he was good, really good. And some games he was just okay. So I think the consistency with him has definitely been a, a trend uh, over the course of the season. Any final thoughts on, on Lee Sell before I move you to the next guy? I, I mean, I would just say that, you know, I, I agree a lot with what, with what Corey said on on that and the, the, the consistency issues. I just think that that's one of those things where I think the, 
it comes down to preference, player preference, and the different skills that you and how you evaluate them. And I, I think for me, again, it just comes down to his that that unique skill set that he has. And and I don't know. I mean, I just yeah, I think Corey's a little higher on this draft class than I am, um, and and has a little more more faith in some of the players than I do. Um, but but yeah, it's it's really interesting to see. He's he is a he is an interesting guy in general because I think there are a lot of teams that see that electric skill and get really excited. But, uh, but I also see a lot of teams that, that are worried that the competitiveness is there. And I don't think he was ready for the pro game this year. I thought that Ferlando was correct in not promoting him. Um, and, you know, and then obviously he got the opportunity with Lulia. So, uh, but yeah, I, and I don't think that anything I saw there was like, Oh yeah, this guy deserves to play more. So, I mean, I think that's a lot, there's a lot of fairness there. All right. Next guy uh, is someone who I really like. And and Chris, you have him at 23 Corey, You've got him at 30. That's Logan Stankoven. Uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm just, uh, if I'm riding Cole Caulfield fever right now, but I see the little guy with a great release <laughs> uh, and I can't help really rooting for Logan Stankoven. So Corey, we'll start with you this time. Why don't you have Logan Stankoven higher than number 30? I had him really high actually earlier, earlier in the season. I think I had him like top, 20 and that's a guy kind of what we talked about earlier in the podcast after his u18s i kind of creeped him down a little bit uh because you got chance to see him you know in person and uh when I, the vi- the video angle and, and cam loops can be a little hard to scout sometimes they like yeah. zoom in like really close <laughs> and, and and it's not like a, not like picking on cam loops it's just a, just a reality that every every rink is a little bit different how they use their camera technology um and with Stanko, but I always saw a tremendous skill, like really, really high skill level, really good shot. And the, the, the issue with me was always just how his skating looked. And I couldn't tell if he was actually quick or just because he's such a fierce competitor that I looked like he was moving quick. And I really like his compete level. I think it's really good. Um, I would kind of say, you know, after watching him live, the skating at the 5'8 frame was a little alarming. Like he's not like not a bad. He, I wouldn't say he's like a poor skater. I think he's a you know he'll be a more than good enough pro skater because of he's got some elusiveness in him, uh, some small area quickness, but he really doesn't have much uh, separation speed, particularly for a guy that size. So that uh, concerned me. I would say I wouldn't. You know, Chris and I have watched a lot of Cole Caulfield. I wouldn't call Logan Stankoven uh, a Cole Caulfield type of player. I think he has really good skill, like Cole. I think he is as a, as a good shot like Cole. I wouldn't say it's the kind of shot that Cole has. I think he's like, if you want to use that team, he's more of like a Gallagher mm. Caulfield blend where he's got some skill, really good skill in scoring, but he's got a little bit of like a, you know, a fuck you in him kind of thing where he's going to be really physical and chippy. But I don't think he is. I think he's really talented. I wouldn't call him a dynamic, a dynamic offensive type like Cole can be sometimes. Uh, so I think, even though I think the skatings are roughly similar, Cole might be a little bit better. Uh, so like, he's kind of like, that's why I think he's like a, like a middle six kind of winger, I think, in the NHL. Yeah, and I I, I agree with a, a lot of that. I think that part of, you know, at his size, he does need to have that elusiveness in the skating. I think there's some good agility there. Um, I would agree that the burst is not where you would want it to be um, in terms of a, a guy at that size and, and just, you know, to be able to separate a little bit, but I do think he's one of the, you know, in a, in a draft class full of, of, you know, average skaters. I think that he's, he's mm-hmm. closer to above average, at least for this class, I wouldn't say he's above average for NHL caliber. So, um, that is certainly something that we would have to, 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 to think about a little bit more, but I think for me, 
you know, the, the hand skills, the competitiveness, the ability that he, he can close on pucks quickly. He, he makes problems for defensemen. Um, I think that he, he, you know, doesn't shy away from that size. The issue is, is he still doesn't have the physical strength or the lower body strength to out muscle um, defensemen and, and to, to, you know, to win those battles. So that's going to be a, a bit of a concern, but I think you look at the, the, the skill level and, and again, it's not a dynamic, um, you know, compared to some of the guys that, that we, you know, even compared to like a LaSalle, but I, I think that what I really like about, about Stankoven is that he's got this, this really, you know, he's got a good motor, he's got a good drive, but then he's got this great sense for, for how to score. Um, the release is, is, is very strong. Um, he had a, a huge goal for Canada at the, at the world under 18s and, and really, you know, showcase that release and, and using a defenseman as a screen and, you know, changing the angle of the shot a little bit. Um, so those are the things that, that he does well. I just think that, you know, in a, in a year where you're looking for, for, you know, there's a lot of guys with, with certain flaws. I mean, to me, the biggest flaw in, in Stankoven's game is his size. And that doesn't scare me as much as, as some of, you know, the guys that, that are, are worse skaters, uh, with similar skills. So he's like a tough one in that regard. And that I think when a guy like him comes through, particularly when you have the most recent example of a guy like Caulfield, people will just point to and say, you know, Cole Caulfield, Alex Abrinkin, you know, this guy's next. And I think it's, it's possible. I mean, I, I like the guy a lot. I have whatever 30 on my list. Like that's a guy I, I clearly believe in. And I think will be a good, uh, you know, a useful, if not a good NHL player. But I also think it's easy to forget the guys who didn't do it. I think it's easy to forget, like, I don't think they're comparable players, but, you know, Chris will know him as like a TJ Tynan type who just mm. kind of like just gets to the American League and just is great there and just can't get out um, because of the size skating combination. Uh, and, you know, it's it, it's it's just risk. You know, at the end of the day, you're making project, you're making bets. Uh, you're not, there's no absolutes, even though I'll say, yeah, I think he's a middle six forward. I, I realize there's a scenario where he doesn't do that. And there's a scenario where I might be wrong. And he's Alex to bring it. And the guy, the team who dropped him with a genius and, and they're, they got, they got a core piece now. Uh, but, but I think there, there are risks there. And it's why I just, just from my discussions with teams, I just don't see any way he's going to go top 20, top 25 would probably be like the absolute ceiling for him. But I would guess if we're doing a mock draft right now, he's like in the twenty-five to forty-five range. Chris, you mentioned the, the goal at the at the World Youth. Are you talking about the one that like Brant Clark skates it up, kind of leaves him a drop pass, and then Stankovic just yeah. rips? Yeah. So that goal just yeah. sticks in my mind because it's what I would want to see from from a small guy. Like if if you're gonna be confined a little bit, like if you're worried about the size getting inside and, and being able to. Um, body guys when you get to the middle of the ice that's what i want to see is you just rip one from distance and score anyway that being said i i would say he had a kind of a quiet tournament particularly metal round up until that point i actually was that's like, talking to some i was actually talking to some scouts like in the intermission before he scored that i'm like oh i don't know if this guy's gonna do it like like there's some you know some real issues here like He's got to be killing it at this level, kind of thing. And you know, you can argue what you can argue about him. He had a good WHL resume, for example. But but I also would say his U18s jumped out at you, like, oh yeah, like this guy for sure. But to be fair, not everyone does that. You know, Chris will you know very vividly remember the very poor international camps Alex DeBrincat had, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I think for for him too. Um, you know, he's a guy that also has a, a pretty solid body of work from last season as yep. well. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of gold and, and yeah. And just really, 
I think that's something that stuck with me. He's been kind of in this range for me all season. And, and I agree with Corey. I don't think he's going to go as high as I have him on my list, but I, I think that's the, those are the, the chances that you take and, and you say, all right, well, if, if I'm, I'm most concerned about his size, I think that there are other things that he can do. You know, I think he can get stronger. He can get a better lower body and all those different things and, 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 and play under players, but it, you know, it's going to, he's got the hockey sense and some skill. And I, I think that he'll be, He'll be okay, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to be surprised if he slips in this draft because of the size, because of the things that Corey's mentioned as well. I think they're all valid things, and in the end, we're only about seven spots different yep. on a guy that that you know could have a very wide range of opinions come draft day among teams. Yeah, you guys' lists in general are, are pretty close. I was really looking for major differentiators. There, you guys aren't that far off on too many guys. You are the uh, U.S. World Junior historian, there, Chris. Uh, yes. Were, were Debrinket and Connor Garland ever in the same cycle? Like at least in the tryout phase? Um. Well, I mean, I don't think Connor Garland ever even got an invite to camp. No, he did. He? he got an invite to camp. I was at there. The uh, okay. The class, I wasn't class. at that one. Yeah, I wasn't at that one. Yeah. So he would have been. Yes. Yes. They would have had. They would have been in the. I believe they would have been in that that U U twenty year. Yes. Yeah, okay. they would have been in the same camp. And and they were both cut from that team and both had Connor Garland's camp was was not great either um and then there was you the kind of thing you watch him like oh this guy's dominating the queue but but man he's just so small and slow and I don't yeah think gonna, there's no way there's no place for him on this team kind of thing and um and I'm not saying and I'm not saying those cuts were unreasonable you can you know you know, yeah, they won there. gold that year. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And I think I think those Corey brings up a good point because those camps and these tournaments really put pace to the test. I think they're you know they're typically faster tournaments in in situations where you're you're condensing the player pool to such a degree that all these guys have you know higher end abilities. And and so when you see those guys in that environment, it really does create a bit of separation, which is why I think you look at a guy like Stankovan and he, his, his, uh, you know, his U 18s and you say, okay, well, how does he do against these, these other guys? And, you know, there's, there are plenty of guys that I have that played in that tournament ahead of, you know, that are ahead of him on my list um, because, you know, they definitely were able to handle that better. How'd you think Brian Clark did with that pace? Fair. I don't think he got overwhelmed by it. Do you think, um, do you think he excelled though? Do you think he was deserving of like the all-star vote? I didn't have him on my all-star ballot. So I would say there was there was one I would say Hamill Salmi was the obvious one and there was like no yes. obvious second one, I thought. Right. I voted for Kuhlemans on that one. I know you disagree. So. No, I, I mean I, I think there I think there might have been three or four Canadian defensemen that got votes. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, um, Zellweger. I mean, there were yeah, they those are those are guys that deserved it for sure. Yeah. I just I did not to pick on Brent, but I think that's like the interesting one coming out of the tournament is you talk to some people who'd be like, oh, he has such a great tournament. And then I talk to some scouts, like, yeah, I don't think he had a good tournament. <laughs> you know, I thought he disappeared at times when the games got faster. Um, which I, yeah, just, I, I thought I thought at that point when you mentioned the pace of the of the event. Absolutely. And I thought I thought that, you know, it was it was really difficult for for the defensemen in that tournament to to stand at like the, the guys that we expect to be at the top of the draft. I mean, it would have been might have been a lot of different story if, if Luke Hughes was there and, uh, and available. Yep. But, uh, you know, Clark Edvinson. You know, they, they they didn't do a ton that, you know, left you saying those guys are for sure top 10 picks, but um, I still have them in my top 10. So, <laughs> so that's, yeah, but that's, that's still, I, I, I think it was a, a very strange, strange tournament for, for, for top prospects. So I think a lot of guys showed, um, you know, good and bad in that tournament. 
Interesting thing for me with Clark was he was the only one of the defensemen that didn't get regular PK time, which I thought, which I thought was interesting. Mm. On camp, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they clearly had their their stoppers that they yeah. wanted out there. But I mean, like, I mean, every one, every, every other one of the D got regular PK time. Is what I was saying, except for him. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, no, I saw that too. Yeah. All right. So the uh, this one's not about any one prospect in particular, but. Chris, since, since you do live in a USHL city and the USHL has been one of the leagues that's had, I don't want to call it a normal season, but, but a more full season than some of the other leagues, they also, they have some high picks coming through that league. And I just wanted to kind of give you an open floor here a little bit to talk about some of the, the talent coming out of the USHL. Obviously, there's a couple of Canadian guys uh, in the USHL, or, or at least one, Sillinger, one who came out of there a year ago in Owen Power, who are going to go near the top. Um, but, but there's plenty of USHL talent here that can go kind of in the first round. I just kind of wanted to give you an open floor to talk a little bit about the USHL and, and what you see coming out of that league this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was a great year for them to, you know, showcase. Obviously, they had a full season, which a lot of, you know, or as close to a full season, which a lot of teams were not able to do or a lot of leagues were not able to do. So we got a really great picture of what those players were capable of. And, and you know, I think Cole Sillinger making the decision to go down from Medicine Hat to the USHL was a huge uh, a huge benefit to him because he came right into the league and he proved that he could score goals and 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 score them in a, a at a pretty high clip. Um, I think that his skill level stood out in that league and in, in terms of his hand skills. You know, he's he's a, a guy, another one of these guys that you know pace is 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 still going to be an issue for him. But to see a, a guy with his release and and his uh, the the very many different ways that he can score goals, um, that was all on display. I thought he did a great job going there. You look at Matthew Coronado, and for a draft eligible player, you know his production this year is is mostly unprecedented. I think Thomas Vanek is the only guy who, as a draft eligible, and he was a little bit um, you know it's a little bit different for him, but. He, he 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 was a draft eligible player and produced at an incredibly high clip. Um, as far as you know, draft eligible guys, I think the 48 goals that Coronado scored this year uh, is the most by any draft eligible player in the USHL. Um, and that you know he played on a great team in Chicago, but I think that he created so much on his own. He's you know he's he's a pretty good skater. He's got some power to him, even though he's not a big guy. You know he's got some good strength. He he can drive the net. Um, you know, makes makes plays off the rush, can can play, you know, on the power play, can do kind of anything for you. Um, and so that was really impressive. I, he he has another teammate in Mackie Samuskevich who, you know, could sneak into the first round. I think, you know, it's it, it really depends. There's a wide range of opinions on him, but you know, he's one of the the guys that can can really skate. And when he's on the top of his game, um, you know, he had some consistency issues this year, but when he's on the top of his game, he's really difficult to stop in that league. Um, and I think he's going to be going to be an impressive player and prospect who will develop at the the University of Michigan and, and and keep going. But I mean, I think overall, I think you're going to see a lot of players that are in the second and third round coming out of the USHL this year, maybe at a higher rate or a similar rate. I mean, really, the the league has produced a lot of draft picks, and a lot of them are kind of in the later later portions of the draft, but still. A lot of guys are, are getting those opportunities. And, and the other thing that the league did this year is I was thinking about some of the guys that came down from the WHL, not named Sillinger, that that came to the USHL and found it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Like, you know, Jack O'Brien was a top guy in this draft class um, coming into the season in terms of, you know, if you depending on who you talk to, there were a lot of people that had a lot of high hopes for Jack O'Brien. And he got kind of, you know, buried in the league honestly i mean you know he did not score very much 
you know, it, it was not a great showing for him. Um, you know, to the point of here's a guy that you were thinking maybe a late second or late second round pick all of a sudden, maybe you can't draft them. Um, you know, so that is, that is something that Cross that'll Hannes be interesting. Too. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And we, you know, he cross Hannes just got named to the U S camp in place of, uh, Matty Beneers and, you know, he did not have a great performance in the USHL either. So it, it's really a, a difficult league to play in. And I think if you aren't prepared for that, if you aren't prepared to play against teams that have great, um, uh, um, you know, teams that have great structure, they're well coached, they're very difficult to play against. There's it's a physical league. Um, you are going to get run over. And that's why it makes what Matthew Coronado did so impressive, what Cole Sillinger did, what the, the national team development program guys did. I mean, you, you know, Chaz Lucius was hurt for most of the year, came back, played mostly USHL games and averaged a goal per game, essentially, um, you know, which is not easy to do. And, and, and to get inside in that league, he was able to do that. Sasha Postajov had a, had a really good season production wise. So it, it's, it's always impressive to me when a player puts up big numbers in that, in that uh, league because they are, um, uh, you know, it, it is not an easy league to play in. And there are a lot of teams in that league that make it really difficult on you. So if you can stand out there um, and, and produce, you, you, especially at a young age, you really have a chance to, to, to do something, you know, and move on to college and then maybe move on to the pros. And I think the league is definitely looking up right now. Chris, I hate to use like the, you know, the term like turning point because I think change doesn't happen, like, you know, in a year or, or overnight. It's usually gradual. Um, but do you, you kind of look at this USHL season and what struck me is how many uh, real good Canadians are going to have USHL ties out of this draft. Mm. You know, obviously the first overall pick, Owen Power, a Canadian who comes to play in the USHL and, and goes to play college hockey. You mentioned Cole Sillinger, who you could probably argue is in that unique, you know, bucket because he would probably be playing Madison Hat all season. But he comes here. And he's part of, you know, and he has, a, you know, plays really well in Sioux Falls. I'd really should see their record with and without him because I feel like it would be extremely stark. And, yeah. But, but, and those are the big names. But you have a guy like, you know, Archie and Martino, who was one of the top scorers in the USHL. Um, and, you know, a Canadian who was going to go play BCHL but ended up playing in Omaha. You have a guy like Guillaume Richard, who was going to go USHL all the way, but he was on Canada's U18 team. He's going to be, a, you know, probably a second or third round pick uh, going, going to Providence. Uh, there, you know, there's definitely, you know, a really interesting, you know, bunch of really good Canadians. And we've seen that before, like a guy like a Jaden Schwartz. But I wonder if this season helps move the needle, not dramatically, but a little bit to making the USHL more of a competitor with Canadian junior hockey for for good talent. Well, yeah, and I, I think I, I agree with that. And especially guys like Owen Power, who show that there's a path from there to college to being, you know, potentially the first overall pick, um, you know, it makes the college route a little more palatable for, for some of those players. And, you know, I, I think it, it'll be interesting to see how much it affects the CHL compared to the AJHL, BCHL leagues like that, where, you know, we obviously saw Kale McCarr, you know, build a pretty, pretty prominent career in the AJHL. Wonder what would have, what he would have looked like in the USHL and things like that. But you know, there were guys like uh, Jack Barr is another one who who was playing in the Jack BCHL, Barr, yes. moved to yeah, moved to the moved to the USHL, and and so I, I wonder if it'll be at the expense of those leagues as opposed to the CHL. But I think that the players that are that that have an interest on the college track 
could at least look at what Owen Power did. He went to the USHL at 16 years old. Very difficult league to play in at 16, no matter who you yeah, are. Yeah, um, he, was kind, and he was kind of up and down in those. He was up and season. down. Yeah, exactly. He was kind of, you know, he, he was finding his way. But he turned that into a dominant second season in the league where he was the best player, you know, probably the best player in the league, best defenseman in the league for sure. And then, you know, goes to Michigan ready and is able to, you know, be an instant contributor there. So um, I think it just makes the whole college route. The, the USHL being strong strengthens college hockey. It, it, it has a, a big ripple effect as well. And that's true of the BCHL and AJHL and all the leagues where you can maintain college eligibility. But the other interesting thing that's going to be happening, Corey, is that this, this whole um, situation with the college athletes and the name and likeness and all the different ways that they're going to be able to make money. Does this, I don't know if it's going to change anything for not, certainly not immediately because it's actually in the rules that if you play in the CHL, you're not eligible to play in college hockey, but I think that they'll eventually have to soften that. And then all of a sudden it, it changes the whole dynamic of the power structure within um, the hockey beneath the NHL. So I think that that's something that I'll be watching as well. But the USHL certainly positioned itself very well as a league to prepare players for for a pro pro career. Right. And, you know, the NIL is a good point. Maybe not for a guy like a Shane right now, for example, but for like the next big Canadian thing. You know, now you have new variables at play with your decision-making process. And you mentioned Kale McCarr, and obviously it would be interesting to see him go that path when, on his way to college hockey. But, I, you know, I, maybe you disagreed, but obviously he had an amazing draft season where it should end up him going top five. But... Yeah, his previous season, I never. I always heard, you know, people could say he was good. I never was talking to people in the league and say this guy's going like a top five, top ten pick when he was like 15, 16 years old. Um, and I, I think that's a unique one. But you, I don't think we've seen. You correct me if I'm wrong. A Canadian who was like an elite prospect from like when they're fourteen, fifteen through their draft season go the college hockey route since like the years of uh, like when, when Taze did it. Right. So I think right. when you see a guy like power do it, it's like Taze and, and Turris, I think would be the ones that would come to mind. Right now. It's like, okay, well, and I think the CBAs made that a little difference. Cause as you might, might recall in the previous CBAs, if you went to college, uh, I think it gave you an extra season or so before you were draft eligible. So a little bit more of, I guess, you know, preparation and time to, to, to use that college eligibility. Uh, but I wonder if what power did and what potentially Anna Fantilli is going to do uh, could change the dynamics there a little bit to go with something like the NIL and, and what the USHL is providing them. Yeah, absolutely. To- totally agree. Awesome. I think that is going to do it for this segment, but Chris, thanks so much for all the time today, man. You're, you're doing great work over at hockey sense uh, on Substack. I'm a very satisfied customer. I cannot recommend it enough for our <laughs> audience to make sure that they're subscribing. Comes right to your email inbox. Super convenient. Go sign up. We'll pause the podcast while you do it. But uh, Chris, thank you so much again for, for coming on today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, this was this was great fun. So So hopefully we can do it again someday. Awesome. I will take you up on that. All right. That was great. Thanks again uh, to, to Chris for, for joining us. We're going to move in now to our next segment, which honestly, uh, Greg Custis and Sean Gentile tried to sabotage earlier this week. Your your draft confidential uh, came out on, on Tuesday, I think it was, or maybe it was, was it Monday or Tuesday? I think it was on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they immediately steal it and sabotage it. Absolute act of aggression, possibly an act of war. Um, but we're not going to let it stop us we're not going to let them uh, just completely steal our prospect content 
So I, I want to d- dive into some of the, the quotes remaining from the draft confidential here. Yeah. One of the ones that th- what was things that was interesting before we get into that was not that just they did that. If they just did it, it's like Craig being Craig. He, you know, he could be a little he could be a little bit of a rebel sometimes. But the reason why they said it is that they said that we are, you know, we're we're crushing them in the ratings right now, which I wasn't aware of. I don't I don't check the ratings. I'm not neurotic about that like Craig is. But but it's nice to know that we're really intimidating him. A lot so um it, that makes me happy yeah i was glad to hear that as well i mean we're, we're making them sweat there's no doubt about that um <laughs> uh, yes so uh we'll see how the next couple of weeks goes but uh maybe craig and sean just need to step their game up a little bit and stop stealing our content i think so too so so the thing that they keyed in on from, from this particular story uh was the source and, and just to give everyone some some context Corey talked to 20 uh nhl scouts and executives Pulled them to give give their kind of anonymous real opinions on a bunch of players in the first round. How many how many prospects was this? Thirty. It was around thirty to forty, and it was supposed to be a smaller number. And just due to the nature of of, of how I end up doing things, it ended up being much longer than it was supposed to be. It was, which it was is ma- great. That's great for the reader. They get more. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I was trying to give the readers an idea of like the very, very best players or guys who I think have reasonable possibilities to go in the first round and, and get some honest thoughts from people who work in the league about what they think about these players and do so not in a way, I think some people thought like it was being overly harsh. I didn't personally think that just because frankly, prospect evaluations can be uh, harsh at times, but not to like slander somebody, but to just be, you have to be realistic. And I think, you know, these guys are, are paid to be realistic, not to dream on players, but to give honest assessments to their, to their bosses about who these players are and what they're going to be. And, you know, they typically most prospects, even first round prospects don't become great players. And Typically, you know, most of these draft picks are not going to be playing in the NHL. And I think there's uh, the people who are paid to do this typically approach it with with that mindset that it's that the climb to the top of, of your sport is is really daunting. Yeah, I think that's reflected. I mean, even when you look at the top kind of prospects here, like there, there's some division and, and one of them, you know, Owen Power, who we think is is the, is going to go number one overall. This is a quote that, that Sean and Craig really keyed in on. Uh, I think it was the first actual quote in the story. It, the, the source says, basically, I'd be surprised if in 10 years you told me he ended up the best player. How do you kind of square a quote like that in, into what that means for how teams really view Owen Power? Does that mean that this this source like doesn't like Owen Power, wouldn't take him first? Or is it just kind of a reflection of the overall uncertainty of the class? I think I think there are people who would think that and still have number one. And let me explain why. I think the people who would have number one and but might still potentially believe what that said. And there are going to be and I would say with the cat, there's a lot of scouts who will take a number one and think he'll be the best player in the draft. In fact, I would say there's a lot of scouts who believe that. Uh, but the ones who wouldn't would say you're balancing things. You're balancing what you've seen from a 6'6", highly mobile, highly intelligent defenseman who's played great in junior, great in college, great, really great at the World Championships. And you could be confident that that's going to be a great NHL player. But there's some other guys in this draft who you could make reasonable arguments that if things go really, really well for them, 
that they could pass power in five to ten years from now as a pure player. It doesn't mean they will. It doesn't mean they're the best bets in the in this draft when you consider what you know versus what's possible. You know, I could see scenarios where Luke Hughes becomes better than Power. I can see scenarios where William Eckham becomes better. I can see scenarios where Ken Johnson becomes better. But they're not first on my list on Power is because at the end of the day, I think he will be the best player from the draft. Um, but I also am not going to sit here and say I think there is no way he he isn't. There are definitely a lot of players that I think are close enough in pure talent level that if you know if I can you know I can definitely see a scenario next season where Ken Johnson puts it all together, he pops, wins the Hopi Baker, plays NHL next the season after, and it's just an absolute stud. Doesn't mean I think that's going to happen, but it's definitely possible. I, I almost look at it like a math problem. Like if you told me that there's a 30% chance that Owen Power ends up the best player in this class, people might go, oh, well, you're, you're going to take a guy with only that much you know, probability to end up the best player at number one. But he, he might still have the highest individual probability by a considerable margin. It's just that you're, you're saying one guy versus the field. Like in almost anything, you want to take the field with those kind of odds. Right, but you, don't, you can't get to go up to the draft podium and select the field. Exactly. That's what I mean, yeah. Yes, you know, so... That'd be great if you could you just get all be a the great players. Pick. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> we'd have an issue signing all of them. But other than that, um, but uh, uh, no, I get what you're saying. I think, but there's some quotes in there that are also very complimentary of power. Like, Absolutely, you know, there's, there's, and that's. I think that's kind of what I was trying to show. I wasn't trying to pick on individual players. I was trying to really show to the readers the debates that really ensue in draft rooms on all players of all talent levels, and it's not just isolated to this draft. This happens in every draft. There were guys who picked apart Darlene and Jack Hughes and Lafreniere and and all your other favorite guys who you think are were no doubt studs when they were drafted. These these happen all the time. Yeah, on the like upside of things, like yeah, you, you do have one of the quotes that kind of acknowledges like, look, Victor Hedman's offense came later, and the same thing could happen with Owen Power. And then there's another quote that that I think really is what the crux of it would be for me if I was a decision maker in this draft. One of the quotes I have a hard time imagining once an NHL coach gets their hands on that they won't play the shit out of him. To me, that's the whole thing. Like you're drafting a player that you can confidently put out on the ice for like t- north of 22 23 minutes a night in hard situations and they're going to do good things give me that all day we're recording this on the eve of uh tampa bay winning their second championship right. in a row and victor headman looking like an absolute monster um in some of those games where it just you know just just shuts down so much of what montreal was trying to do uh, but I think it's easy to have a short memory and forget that those first few seasons that Victor Hedman was in the league, you know, he did not look like the Hedman we know today. Doesn't mean he yeah. wasn't a really good player, but there was a lot of like, if you might recall, there was a lot of like Hedman, Tavares, maybe Duchesne arguments going into their draft year. And in those first few years, it was like, oh, it's clearly Tavares. Like, you know, like, you know, we respect the Hedman. It's clearly Tavares. Now it's like, eh, it's the other way now, probably. <laughs> so and I mean he didn't crack thirty points until he was twenty three. One of was a lockout season, but he didn't crack thirty points until he was twenty three. Yeah, no development is in a straight line, and I think that's what that quote was trying to get at. Is that like you know there's a lot of the job is projection. The Edmonton quotes got a projection a lot too. Uh, you had a lot of conversations with the NHL people about those two guys, and that you know it's not always about what they've done now, it's about what they're going to do in the future. And I think you can't just go completely one way, ignore all current information, but it's it's definitely a balance and. 
There are certain things that project better into the future than others when it comes to attributes, particularly when it comes to size and skating. Um, so that is definitely the balance. So you mentioned Edvinson. I loved his section because I love when the sources disagree. And his is like the best example of it. There's like four quotes in a row. One of them is like, he's a stud. He's going to be a star. The next one, I think he's overrated. The next one, I think he's going to disappoint people if he goes in the top five. The next one, he's like a gazelle on ice. Like I, I love the variance in just four quotes there on what four different people see when they look at Simon Edvinson. Uh, to me, like that's the that's the whole the whole game because these are the players who can change the look of the whole draft depending on where the teams that love him are picking and where the teams that really don't love him are picking. And it'll change the look on the draft depending on how they they pan out too. You know, if Edvinson really hits, like if he becomes what some of his biggest backers thinks he is, which is like a potential like top pair, maybe even like a number one defenseman kind of thing, that's a huge piece. Now you're talking about, oh, it's power and this guy, you know, we'll see what happens with Luke and Clark. But yeah. like now you're like, oh, there's these two like stud, stud defense prospects. You know, you're looking at like the, the Dowdy Petrangelo draft again kind of thing. But if he doesn't and he goes top five, it's like, oh, well, maybe it's 2012 again where you had like guys like Griffin, Griffin Reinhardt, Reinhardt. Yeah. go there. So th- that changes the, the complexion for sure. And and his division, I think, is reflected in in just how his season went and and that kind of player he is, where his season was, you know, it was good, not great. And then he had, but he has this toolkit where it's like, well, he should be great. And I, I think that's where the interesting and debates come from. And the debates, I think, is one of the best parts of this lead up um, uh, into a, a, and past the drafts. Yeah. So two guys that, that are in this that we haven't spent, we haven't, we did, we did our center deep dive. We did our defenseman deep dive. We didn't really do one for the wingers. So I did want to ask you about just a couple of the, kind of the true wingers that we have projected that we haven't spent that much time on. Um, and that's Dylan Genther and William Eklund. With Eklund, one of the sources called his skating dynamic. Another said he had the it factor. But a third kind of noted that it's not elite speeds, elite speed at his size. I guess I want to ask you, like, you have Eklund pretty high on your list. Is is the only concern the size? Is there something else? Like, what? why would Eklund not kind of creep up a little bit higher? Yeah, that's a great conversation. I mean, that's a great uh, question. I had this conversation, sorry, with somebody actually yesterday about this very topic. And that's the kind of thing where I, I think because of his production and his highlights with the skill and like the, and like the kind of things he can make, kind of plays he showed in the SHL, I think there's a public perception like, well, why is this guy not being discussed as like a no, no doubt top five, top three guy? And, and I think... There are definitely some core, and, and I'm sure someone will say, "Well, it must be just be the the size. That's just people overrating size again," and and that might be true. But I, I definitely know some scouts who have some hesitations on taking him in the top five because they see, like you said, it's a it's, it's an undersized winger, and they don't think the skating, particularly the speed, is. He's got good edges. It's great edges, and that's I think that's where the issue is. Like they say, like great small area quickness but doesn't have the pull-away speed you would like if you're drafting a 5'10 winger in like the top five, top seven. Doesn't mean they don't think he's a great player, but that, you know, when you when you look at what the alternatives are, the great defensemen that are available, uh, some of the more, you know, physically gifted forwards that might be available, a goalie like a Jesper Wolstead that might be available, um, that's where... I talked to some, not all scouts, but some scouts who get a little bit of cold feet 
on where we're talking about taking him. It's why it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I, if I think, believe in my last mock draft, that's where I saw him. That I think he will get outside the top five, even though I haven't rated third overall. And I, and I'm not going to sit here. And I feel confident about it. He wasn't, you know, third overall for me all the way. He kind of fluctuated for me throughout the year, and I had to kind of like slowly warm up to the idea uh, of him in that range. Um, but that's the one guy where, like I said, I think there is a public question of like, why is this guy not a no doubter? And it's like, well, that's, well, well, that's why is people are not convinced that he is like Tim Stutzla, for example, who is just like this ridiculously good skater. They just think, yeah, he's a pretty good, elusive, not overly quick, small guy kind of thing. Where are you at on a shot? Cause that's the other thing. Like when we compare these two wingers, Genther and, and Eklund, like it, it seems like Genther's regarded as having the better shot is, is Eklund's Notably, like, does it deviate from average notably, or is it just no. Gunther's yeah, is pretty good? I, yeah, I just don't think that's, um, I don't think that's a variable for him. He's a he's a playmaker, I would say. And for Genther, for Genther, it's not just his shot. I think with Genther is he just has like every NHL attribute. Yeah, like he just he just does. Like it's not. I don't think with Genther he is top five in the draft in any one attribute. He might even not be like top seven in any one attribute, maybe the skill. Um, but but I think unlike Eklund, he checks every box. NHL skating, NHL skill, NHL hockey sense, competitiveness, goal scoring abilities, size. Like he has he has all the and and great production to go with all those things. Mind you in a weird, you know, COVID WHL division, limited sample size kind of thing. Uh, but but that's the difference there is he looks like like he looks like a guy who's going to be, you know, right into a top six, maybe a top line guy. That's kind of what I project him as. Whereas Eklund, there is a, oh, let's see what happens when we get to the NHL, and he has to play, you know, play that way there. And it, we think it'll work, but maybe it won't. Which is, uh, there's some people who think he'll be an absolute stud in the NHL. But I was giving you the, the pessimistic mindset of, on where the differences are between the two of them. So one of the quotes on Genther for, from the piece is, I wonder if he's an NH, in, the, if in the NHL he's a primary driver of a line or is he more of a secondary guy who needs a top center to create the offense? Seeing that you have him as your second player in this class, I'm going to give you, so I'm going to pretend, pretend that I'm this, this source right here and, and I'm going to give you the chance to sway me. Why is he a primary driver? I think if you watch the U18, that's where that, that's where that mindset was coming from because Shane Wright did so much of the work for that line. And I thought Genther... He was really good, I thought, in the tournament, but he wasn't great. He didn't jump out at you and, you know, be like the leading guy that kind of carried Canada to the U18 gold. But I think if you watch him in Edmonton, both this season and last season in the WHL, I see a lot of that. I see a guy who can be the guy who takes the puck, brings it up ice, Makes the skill plays through guys. He's the the guy who runs the power play. Uh, I've seen that in WHL. But I'm also not going to sit here and say he's a no-doubter going to be like a first-line driving player in the NHL. Um, because there are some, I can't say like his, his skill that's unreal. Like there's not like unreal, unreal skill kind of thing. And... If you put him in like the last year's draft, he wouldn't be two. It wouldn't be much lower than two, but he wouldn't be two. I think that's a the distinctions for me usually happen at the top of the draft with that stuff. I I'm not a big believer that like drafts the body of drafts are overly different when when you when we really get into like the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and particularly beyond that. 
But at the top, that's where the differences happen. So like that's kind of for me, like he's a two, but he's probably a sump two for me in terms of where he is on my list. These are the insights you can only get when you get it straight from the source. You can't get this on the Tuesday episode of the show. So just keep, keep, keep coming back here, no matter how many times they try and rip us off. <laughs> that is accurate. All right. So the last thing for us today, uh, we had our athletic, our latest athletic uh, staff NHL mock draft came out on Thursday. That's our first full first round. So you're definitely going to want to check that out, especially if you're a team, a uh, fan of a team who is not in the lottery. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me, and, and I know you referenced this at the end of the story, is how few defensemen went in the staff mock draft. I think it was only six. Uh, what do you think went into that? And I guess what's a more realistic number of, of defensemen that's going to, I don't think, I think more than six are going in the real thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, peeling back the current here a little bit in how we, we do that process is when we're starting to, to make the picks, I will send out uh, a pool of players that, uh, that I think have a reasonable chance to go in the first round. I don't limit the writers to saying you should only pick from these guys but I, I, it's, a, it's a recommendation and just probably being honest, they probably don't want to go away from the recommendation because they, you know, they, they trust me to just give them the names and they don't probably know these guys that well. So I gave them a list of, I want to say, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten defensemen that I thought had reasonable chances to go in the first round and only six went. The four big ones, Owen Power, Luke Hughes, Simon Edmondson, Brian Clark. And uh, Corson Kuhlman's from Brooks went. And the other one was Carson Lambos from Winnipeg. Uh, re- relatively consensus first rounders at this stage. Um, but the uh, there were some other guys, like I think Daniel Cheka will go in the first round. We've discussed him already on this podcast several times. Yep. Uh, didn't have the best season, but I still think 6'3 with his feet and a good enough hockey sense, is, it's, it's gonna, he's, someone's going to do it. Um, and I just historically, it's usually, I want to say, between seven to 10 defensemen on average go in the first round. I would say it's around that eight to nine mark ish, if I had to like guess. Uh, so six would be really on the low end. And it's kind of funny when you think about, I think, the public hype of the draft coming into this year was this <laughs> is the year of the defensemen. That's right. <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, we just did a. We just did a all of our writers had their picks of all the best players <laughs> and nobody wanted defensemen. So, um, you know, it's, it's why I'm always, and I think that there are going to be some defense. I think Shaky will go. I think Shai Boyum could go. I think Kirill Kersanov, Stanislav Sposal, Evan Naus. Uh, those are all guys who have reasonable chances to go in the first round. Uh, but I think it's interesting. You know, I say this over and over again and no one ever listens to me, but so it's fine. It's fine. Nobody, nobody usually listens, listens to me for good reasons sometimes. But like it's really hard to project a draft a year yeah. a year out. So much changes, even in a year where guys aren't playing that much. Never mind in years where guys really do play a lot. So, like I always get a lot of questions of like, well, how does this draft you know rate to next year's draft? Where next year's draft is even less information because you have like OHL age groups that haven't played a single high level game yet. Um, and it's like, well, <laughs> you know, let's let's see how the next uh, twelve months go. Uh, you, know, you could have a good idea. Like I have an idea of who I think the top tier is for, for next year from what I've seen, but I could be way off. <laughs> you know, we'll see how these guys do when, when their international camp start in the summer and then they get going into their club seasons in the, in, in the fall and, and, and carry through throughout the season. Um, but yeah, that was something I've noticed and I, and I think will be different. I don't think, uh, 
some of the fours that went there towards the end, I think a guy like Chaka would go ahead of, of a couple of them. So one of the things that, I, that makes this uh, a fun mock draft, and one of the reasons I think people should go check it out, is at the end of our mock, Corey sends it to the to the NHL scouts and gets their gets their feedback. And I think I'm starting to to pick up on what the scouts are going to criticize. And I think early on it was pretty clear that uh, one of those things was going to be the goalies. I don't think either goalie went until I want to say St. Jeremy Lewis. finally took one at 17. Yeah, St. Louis. Um, and and so the the scouts uh, they they criticized one one didn't think we were too far off, but in general I, I think it's fair to say. That, uh, you know, we probably have the goalies going a little later than they really will. But I, I think there's some logic to it, too, because once yep. you get to pass, like, I think number 12, I think those teams from 14 to 16 aren't going to take a goalie considering that the young goalie talent they have in their organization. So there is some part of this that's like once you're at 13, you're really at 17. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I think there are some organizations that will share that mindset where, and just from discussions I've had with people over the years, I'll say, well, we have this guy, we're not taking him just because we feel like there's a reasonable good enough skater at that slot that will take the guy. But that being said, I think it's also, you can go way back in time here to the, uh, to carry prices draft year. And recall that Jose Theodore was coming off an MVP season right around the, not right off it, it must have been, might have been plus or minus like a year or two. And that was right around when they took Carey Price fifth overall. And yeah, I think sometimes there'll just be scenarios where like, we just need to take the best player at this draft slot and not sacrifice value. And I think that will at some point happen, even if it's not, the number one preference. And I see this angst in our readers. I see it in our writers. And I see it when I talk to scouts when it comes to taking the goalie high. Is you see some scouts are really excited to take that guy. They, they want it. They really believe in either Jesper Walser or Sebastian Kosa or both. But then there's others, whether it's the again, scouts, the media, or the fans, who are like, is there nobody better? Is there nobody else that we could take at this pick? Like, right. we, especially when you're picking high, like, we need so many things. Like, is there is there not another guy that we could take where there's not so much risk baked into this pick, into what's already a, a risky endeavor when, when you're drafting teenagers? And and I'm sure someone made the argument, well, Vasilevsky, you know, and 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 that and Carey Price being an Stanley Cup final. It's like, well, that's true, but you know, there's there you know, there's a history there of sometimes it works and sometimes it really doesn't. Um, or the same thing can be said for skaters too, but goalies is yeah. different degrees. Um, so I, I get where that angst comes in. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to see a guy like Walstead with exceptional hockey sense who has been really you know impressive versus men, world juniors, ju- at the junior level. A guy like Sebastian Koso is a freak athlete, 6'6", super athletic, great numbers. Like there's there's going to be a point where you're going to get to a skater on the list and you'll be like, eh, like he's nothing special. These guys are special. They're the pick. That that's just going to be the process for teams. But I do think doing a mock draft, one will definitely go top 12 or top 13, possibly both. But I would say both will probably be gone by 17 at the latest. All right. I mean, I was going to take one if it got to me with my second uh, pick for the Red Wings at, at 23. But very, the whole way. Very, you're... very gracious of you. Yes, that's right. I'm a friend to the goalies here. <laughs> very uh... Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right, and then the, the other the other thing that stood out, you made this point at the end of the story. So last time, I think it was Mason McTavish gets to nine, and the scouts say no way Mason McTavish gets there. This time, that player is William Eklund, 
and you make the point of, of okay, well, it, really, if there's this group of nine skaters, whichever guy goes ninth, we're going to say, well, how does he get there? But I, when I was looking through the comment section on this article, it was particularly insistent today that there's no chance William Eklund should make it to nine. So I just wanted to go right to you. How how ridiculous is it that Willie Macklin makes it tonight? Is it totally implausible or is it just, hey, someone has to happen? I mean, how how egregious is that in this mock? No, it could happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it could happen. I just, and I, and I know there are some really big Willie Macklin fans out there who are going to be texting me right after this or, you know, send, sending me tweets and being like, no, there's not a chance in, in hell that happens. But there are some really big Simon Edmonton fans. There's some really big Mason McTavish fans. There's some really big Brent Clark fans and Luke Hughes fans and Kent Johnson fans. And those guys who are the big fans may not be the biggest fans of some other guys. And when you have a grouping, somebody has to go nine. <laughs> so it's uh, it doesn't mean those guys are for sure all going in the top nine. The draft is a wonky process. Somebody yeah, Wallstead could throw that whole thing off. Wallstead, maybe a guy like Lucius, maybe a guy like Cole Sillinger, Matthew Coronado. Um, there's, you know, maybe, you know, whoever else, you know, the draft is an uncertain process and everybody can see things a little bit differently, you know, through their own individual processes. Um, but look, presuming just for the sake of the assumption, we have a group of nine and it's tightly grouped. That's just going to be the reality. There's going to be some people who will think it's insane that Willie Beckman goes nine. There's going to be some people who will think it's insane that Ken Johnson goes nine or that Luke Hughes can get to nine. Uh, there's... There's all those kind of scenarios out there. So last time uh, Drance proclaimed himself the winner, Thomas Drance, our Vancouver Canucks writer, who who wins this mock draft? I don't want to say it's Thomas Drance <laughs> because he doesn't really get to make a decision here, does he? Like he just basically just takes whoever no, that's the, true. the big nine is left. It doesn't really take a whole lot of, you know, of, of thought. I, I feel like he's giving us a little bit too much of a backpack here, but, but I appreciate where he's coming from. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I respect I respect uh, the effort there. I would say, uh, just based on my list, my ranking, uh, I say you know Eklund getting the nine is impressive, but I think Kosa getting all the way to the Edmonton Oilers would be yeah a big Bowman. A, big, a big haul for them to get not only like the the Edmonton Oil King guy going to the Oilers, which would be you know a pretty you know interesting story, but just to get you know that. That, that's like the clear thing in their organization they're missing right now is like uh, a guy who could be that absolute, like, you know, real top end athlete in net to go with their great skaters. They obviously have some, some nice, some good young defensemen, like a guy like Broberg coming up. Um, but they don't have, you know, both on in, in their system, particularly, uh, you know, the goaltending question. Uh, so that's, that was one that stood out to me of like, oh, if this scenario played out. I think Edmonton would be really, really happy with that. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. I want to thank Chris Peters again of Hockey Sense for joining us. Great insights he shared and a great guy. Please also follow the Athletic Hockey Show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and a review if you're enjoying it. That really helps us out. And annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. You're going to want to get in on that so you can keep up with all of Corey and Scott Wheeler's coverage in the next month. If you get the subscription, not only can you read the content before we talk about it on the show, you can read the content before Craig and Sean steal it for their show. You can go like direct to the source. So that's what you're going to want to do. Theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.